right all right welcome back skeptics we are here for another episode what we're going to talk about today listen i'm on a roll i gotta talk about influencers but this time i need to talk about not just mom influencers but moms in general and how they present their children on social media Plus, we're also going to talk a little bit about Ron DeSantis and him dropping out of the 2024 race. And we're also going to answer the question, is DEI finally letting up? Plus, a tragic story of a Navy SEAL being killed. Uh, We're going to talk about all of that today on Resident Skeptics. So we're going to go ahead and just dive right on in. Don't hate me. I uh, do have Starbucks. I should probably go to like a local coffee shop, but here I am. We have some coffee. We're ready to go. I want to talk about mom influencers first. All right. And I want to ask a question. Are you a mom influencer or a mom fluencer? going to try to make that <laughs> into a catchy one word. Um But the reason why I'm asking this question and bringing this topic to the attention of everyone, hopefully, who listens or watches this podcast is because we also talk a lot about transgenderism here on the podcast. We talk about protecting the unborn. Now, you might ask yourself, what does that have to do with mom influencing? What is the connection? And here's the connection that I think we ought to draw here. And we're going to go ahead and look at an article. um, And we're going to go ahead and see what the connection is. All right. So we have a BuzzFeed article here that says, This man's mommy vlogger wife ignored his request to keep their children out of her content. And it started an important discussion. This is the article that we're going to be looking at today. Now, here's the connection. I was going to actually do it after the article, but I think it's going to be good if I tell you now. The connection is protecting the most innocent among us. We've seen a conversation that has happened in media over the last couple years about the effects of putting your child on your social media. Now, this can affect your child in a way of being more self-conscious, which I have actually talked about in some shorts on resident skeptics before. Um, But... There is also a connection about protecting your child's innocence, not just protecting their innocence from predators online, um, but also protecting their innocence in not blasting all of their information all over social media. Even if you have, even if it's just your close friends, by close friends, uh, some of us have thousands of Facebook friends that you really don't talk to that much. Learning about all of their intimate moments, their temper tantrums, every sweet little moment, suddenly it's not private anymore. And no one really asks the kids if they really want those moments up there. And let's face it, they're kids, so they probably don't understand the implications of putting those types of things online. But we're going to jump into why transgenderism, why abortion, why all this is on par, or excuse me, for better lack of better terms, falls into the same bucket of protecting children's innocence. Now, I'm not saying that posting pictures of your children online is the same as persuading your child to change their gender. I know that's not the same. But this this falls under the same vein of protecting our children at all costs. And while we might think that posting pictures of our children 
is innocent and it's fun. And to a certain extent, some of it really is fun and has a harmless feel to it. But I think we have to take a little bit of a deeper look. So let's go ahead and look at this article real quick by BuzzFeed talking about this man, uh, essentially his wife putting videos of their children online. So let's go ahead and take a look. Uh, It's no secret that the relationship most people have with social media borders on oversharing. It's become more and more normalized over time to broadcast your real life online for the world to see. What started out as snapping a pic of your meal and posting on Instagram has developed into documenting the entirety of a 27-step skincare routine to record a getting ready with me video moments after waking up. Posting intimate details of our lives has become a social standard even beyond just sharing on private social media for close friends and family, especially now that content can be monetized. Now let's go ahead and stop there and talk about monetization. So one of the things that you will start to see um, in mom influencers, and I will I will try to separate mom influencers from moms that just overshare in general, although I think the line can be blurred. But once you get to a certain point in your followers, in your content, um, you will be able to monetize off of your children. Um, for example, you can do an ad for you know, child's diapers, um, or even just getting that traction from posting your kid's content. Um, so there is a there is a line that gets blurred with wanting to just share your children and share some tips to, I need to share these tips, I need to share these children, my children, in order to make a living. Um, so let's go ahead and just keep going here. But what happens when parents who constantly share their lives online include documenting the lives of their kids too? That's when social media presence creeps into ethically questionable territory. This topic of mommy vloggers, aka creators who focus on parenting content, complete with daily videos featuring their children on camera, has been a heated topic of discussion online because the kids cannot consent to be on the camera the way the adults can. While scrolling the Am I an A-hole subreddit, I saw that the Reddit user, uh, you throw a ruts, ooh, how do you say that? Well, basically, a Reddit user posted his experience and consequently fired up a discussion around this very subject. My wife wants to be an influencer on TikTok and YouTube. She has been creating mommy content and content about her day-to-day life, he said. When she told me this is something she wanted to do, I didn't have a problem with it. I only said that I don't want our want our children ages two and four in any of her content. I didn't monitor her channel because it didn't seem necessary. I recently watched her channel because I thought it'd be cute to see what she does in our day-to-day life. I found our children's faces in almost all of her content. I told her straight up that she needs to remove all of it. She said she didn't, doesn't think this is a big deal. She started crying and saying that she built this up and this is her dream and deleting her content will ruin it. I said, I simply don't give an F. If you don't delete it, I will consider a divorce. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. The comments are filled with support for the husband for advocating on behalf of his children and their privacy. Uh, One user said, and this is just kind of me reading it out here, people who make profits from their kids' misery are the a-holes here, and it seems like your wife is more interested in being a TikTok celebrity than being a caring wife and mother. No one should ever be shilling out their kids for likes and imaginary internet points. Another user said, I think parents doing this deliberately being intrusive and posting the day-to-day life of their kids for the world to see feels abusive to me. 
They can't consent. They don't understand all for the money. Another uh, commenter said, it's like a version of the Truman Show, but the internet version for thousands of families. So yeah, I, I do tend to agree with these comments. And that was one of the biggest things I talked about was monetization. Notice, notice what she said, though, to her husband, what her dream was. Her dream wasn't to raise their children. Her dream was to make money off her children and then be recognized as a great mom, as if that's her singular goal. So we're not only seeing, again, in my opinion, very much the abuse of these children being used for something, but you're also seeing the mindset of the mom shift from, I want to be a good parent to, I want to be a mom influencer. Like it basically, to a certain extent, you're trying to get a level of celebrity status. And I think some of it too, and I think there's an underlying thing here when it comes to mom influencers, is that they have lost in my opinion, they have lost the, the mere importance of being a mom to their children. And let me explain that. I feel like in our society, when it's come to feminism, this idea that you got to be, you got to be working, you know, you got to be a working mom, you got to have the house, you got to have the husband, you also have to have the kids, but you have to have your own life too. Um, That has definitely crept in and has made being a housewife look much more insignificant. Of course, I don't think that it's insignificant. I think it's very important. The home should be one of the safest places for your children, for you, and your husband. And now I think the husband and the wife have to work in tandem to create that. It's not just the wife keeping the house together, all right? The husband has a, has a role in this as well. But when you downplay the significance of being a mom, I think that there can be this, this part of you that's like, I need something else. What can I do alongside of being a mom to show that I'm important? And I think that becoming a mom influencer or even making posts about your children can sometimes ease that feeling that what you're doing isn't important, you know, for your, for your children and for your husband. And so when you, this is kind of the irony here, you'll kind of see these like stay at home mom influencers. They're like, oh, I just, you know, I stay at home and this is the most important thing. But the irony of that is that they actually do have a job. Their job is using their life to create money and you have to have the kids to create that. And so anytime that you bring that money incentive in, I think it's with anything, not just mom influencers. Um, there is a, there's a questioning of the lack of authenticity. So like another example to try to help you understand here is if you have a celebrity endorsing a product, right? When you know that they're endorsing the product, you want to trust them, but at the same time, you do know that they're getting paid to endorse this product. So you're not like 100% sure if they like the product or not, um, but you're still somewhat influenced at the same time. So this is kind of the same, this is kind of the same concept of, you don't know if this person is giving you tips or advice or being vulnerable with you about their day because they're actually being vulnerable or if it's because there's a money incentive behind it, or also a popularity um, incentive behind it. So, so that's that's one thing here. So let's go ahead, keep going in this in this article. 
Um, Great. So while parenting content can provide an accessible and educational outlet for other parents to seek answers to their parenting questions, along with validation from others also raising young children, the risk of sharenting are so glaring that the risk appears to outnumber the benefits. One user said there's going to be a whole generation of traumatized adults who they had the entirety of their life exploited by their parents on the internet for profit. It needs to be illegal. Another commenter said, monetizing children is effing gross. You can have a successful mommy channel without exploiting those you are meant to protect and claim to love. I, I think I can probably agree with that there. Uh, another comment said, she can be a content creator without kids in the videos. There are plenty of things to do. She can still do mommy content without the kids, packing their lunches, how she gets ready, talking about how she handles discipline, etc." So I only partly agree with some of those co- those comments where there is the idea of like keep your children's faces, you know, out of the content. Um, and I think that's a good step for sure. I would rather that I'd rather them do that than not. Um, but what I would say is you're still carrying that mentality with your children, even if sorry, carrying the monetizing mentality with your children, even if they're not on camera. I think that there is something so poisonous about the mindset of even using your children off camera to make money, to make money on camera. Um, and a lot of things too, and this is, this is definitely an opinion that's going to rub some people the wrong way, but most of these moms, I would not say they are a great authority on (laughs) parenting and, not that everything has to be done out of authority, but I do agree with Matt Walsh in a, to an extent. I think I've mentioned it before on a podcast where he's like, hey, you shouldn't be giving, unless you've been, you know, married for like 10 years and you have kids, you know, don't be giving, don't be giving a ton of this advice. And I ha- I kind of have a tendency to agree with that, where in our society, we should be valuing those who are older than us to help give us advice uh, and help walk alongside us. Another one of the comments that we just read kind of talked about, um, or not, I don't think it was one of the com- uh, the comments, it was the article itself talking about how, you know, hey, there are some benefits to these younger creators where you don't feel like you're alone, where like there's a whole community. And again, there's only this partial agreement with it because I'm seeing a trend where we're using online communities to actually replace in-person communities where yes, you can get some good advice from the internet. And I think it's a good supplemental thing to do, but you need people in your community who know you, right? Cause you're a unique person who know your children, right? Cause your situation is unique that can speak into your life in that way. So instead of creating these, you know, young mom communities online, we need to be seeing more of that in person. And then also including older moms or grandmothers to join um, in raising your kids and spend less time watching these mommy vloggers, which again, it can be fun, supplemental things to do, um, but I don't think that it is at all a good replacement. I think some of the intentions of these mommy influencer vloggers can be good. I'm not saying there's no good intentions there, um, but I do think that it's easy to see it's easy to only look at the positive, even in terms of your own, you know, able to make your own money and feeling like, you know, kind of the dopamine rush of the comments like, oh, you're helping me so much. I love seeing this, that you kind of miss the bigger picture of the more mommy vloggers and influencers we have. Um, 
I feel like the less in-person interaction is as encouraged. So go ahead and just keep that in mind. We'll keep going here. Um, Whenever something as vulnerable as raising children becomes performative, then the authenticity gets called into question. Yep, that's exactly, exactly what I'm saying. For once, BuzzFeed and I are on the same page. (coughs) Um, Are parenting content creators experiencing their children's lives in terms of likes and shares? When the content revolving around your kids pays the bills, are the parents too concerned with the lighting and aesthetic to be fully present in the moment? Absolutely, they are not. They are not in the moment. They can't be fully present. Uh, This is what I'm talking about. Again, um, even if you're not having your kids on social media and you're just making the content with you in it, you still have you still have that lean towards how do I make everything aesthetically pleasing? You know, even if you keep your children's faces out of it, like they're still in the camera anyway. Um, back to the article, how is this kind of overexposure childhood going to affect kids in the long term? Um, though we definitely have all of our opinions on the subject. I was curious to see what experts have to say. Okay. And so they're going to go ahead and go into this expert here from, um, from the university of Florida and I'll go ahead and just read her quote. It says, it's very rare that parents are sharing maliciously, but they haven't considered the potential reach or longevity of what is happening with the information they're posting, she says. The reality is that the data shared by parents could be revealed by Google search algorithms for years to come, and we don't know what our child's goals might be when they get older. This is this is an excellent, this is an excellent, excellent point, which is gonna lead into my next point about not just mommy vloggers or influencers but like I said there is kind of that blurred line between just an oversharing mom that slowly makes it into the influencer category Um, so let's go ahead and talk about this it's probably the scariest thing and moms I want you to pay attention because I don't want you to think that I hate you I don't hate you I think like this person said um, you know I don't think it's malicious but we have to understand the full ramifications of what we're doing when we're oversharing about our child They're too young to consent. They also don't know what they want to be. And they might look back and be like, man, I really wish mom hadn't shared those pictures of me in the bathtub. You know, even if it is, even if it is just to 200 of your closest friends, that's 200 people that have seen your child in the bath. Like have seen, if I'm a grown up child, like that have seen me in the bathtub, right? When normally, you know, me growing up, so I'm 25 now, the only person that would have seen me in the bathtub was my mom and maybe my dad and maybe my siblings. And now it's being like put out to, let's just say it's even 50 people. That's, that's like 45 people too many, right? We have to think about these things, but here's what's scarier. What's scarier is that there are sickos out there that very much want to use this content to their advantage. And with the way that technology has progressed, I'm hoping that you've heard about this. If you haven't, this is a great way to learn about it. This is called something called deep fake AI, where they can take pictures of your children, your innocent, beautiful children, even if they are fully clothed, and use it for obscene, gross, and illegal material. Which, you know, again, if you have kids, you know, maybe put this, put your headphones in but to basically make your child into child pornography 
or if, even if you're a teenager, imagine being a teenager too. Maybe you're 13, 14 years old. Again, parents, you got to monitor what your kids are doing, but they can be put into videos that they've never, like they've no, they have no part in it because AI has gotten advanced enough for that. So let's go ahead um, and just take a look at an article um, about this, about AI images being generated to train explicit photos on children. All right. And even, and this is what scares me is that it's only going to get better. It's only going to be better in the sense that's going to be easier to do. So let's go ahead and take a look at this article from AP. All right. So let's go ahead and take a look. Hidden inside the foundation of popular artificial intelligence image generators are thousands of images of child sexual abuse, according to a new report that urges companies to take action to address a harmful flaw in the technology they've built. Those same images have made it easier for AI systems to produce realistic and explicit imagery of fake children, as well as transform social media photos of fully clothed real teens into nudes, much to the alarm of schools and law enforcement around the world. Until recently, anti-abuse researchers thought the only way that some unchecked AI tools produced abusive imagery of children was by essentially combining what they've learned from two separate buckets of online images, adult pornography and benign photos of kids. But the Stanford Internet Observatory found more than 3,200 images of suspected child, child sexual abuse in the giant AI database, L-A-I-O-N. Um, I think it's probably pronounced Leion, but I could be saying that wrong. So this database uh, is an index of online images and captions that have been used to train leading AI image makers such as Stable, such as Stable Diffusion. The watchdog, the watchdog group based at Stanford University worked with the Canadian Center for Child Protection and other anti-abuse charities to identify the illegal material and report the original photo links to law enforcement. It said roughly 1,000 of the images it found were externally validated. The response was immediate. On the eve of the Wednesday release of the Stanford Internet Observatory's report, LAION told the Associated Press it was temporarily removing its data sets. LAION, which stands for the nonprofit Large Scale Artificial Intelligence Open Network, said in a statement that it has a zero tolerance policy for illegal content and an abundance of caution. We have taken down the LAION. <laughs> Maybe it's meant to be said as a word, but I, I can't say it right. Um, sorry, the LAION data sets to ensure they are safe before republishing them. While the images account for just a fraction of LAION's index of some 5.8 billion images, the Stanford group says it's likely influencing the ability of AI tools to generate harmful outputs and reinforcing the prior abuse of real victims who appear multiple times. It's not an easy problem to fix and traces back to many generative AI projects being effectively rushed to market and made widely accessible to the field because the field is so competitive, said Stanford Internet Observatory's chief technologist, David Thiel, who authorized, who authored the report. Taking an entire internet-wide scrape and making the data set to train models is something that should have been confined to a research operation, if anything, and is not something that, we should, have, that should have been open-sourced without a lot of rigorous attention, Thiel said in an interview. A prominent LAION user that helped shape the data set's development is London-based startup Stability AI, maker of the Stable Diffusion text-to-image models. 
New versions of Stable Diffusion have made it much harder to create harmful content, but an older version introduced last year, which Stability AI says it didn't release, is still baked into other applications and tools and remains the most popular model for generating explicit material, according to the Stanford report. We can't take that back. That model's in the hands of many people on their local machines, said Lloyd Richardson, Director of Information Technology at the Canadian Centre for Child Protection, which runs Canadian Hotline for reporting online sexual exploitation. Stability AI on Wednesday said it's only filtered versions of Stable Fusion and that since taking over the exclusive development of Stable Fusion, Stability AI has taken proactive steps to mitigate the risk of misuse. Um, so let's go ahead and actually keep going. This is interesting. Those filters remove unsafe content from reaching the models, the company said in a prepared statement. By removing that content before it ever reaches the model, we can help to prevent the model from generating unsafe content. Okay, so that was a lot of information, but all of that to very basically say that you can take images of your children, of your kids, and use them for sexually explicit material without your knowledge. And there's a lot of arguments, and I think I understand the argument. I think it's very, I think it's very, um, what's the word, unproductive, uh, by basically saying, "Oh, Jordan, like I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to hide my child. You know, I shouldn't have to do this. Like, what? Why do I have to do this? I just want to share my kid. Why can't I?" And I say, "Okay, I understand. I say, I understand." but that's not the case. Like, are you going to try to talk to all the sickos out there? Like the, the, the reality is, is that these people exist out there. The question is what's really worth it sharing your kids online or choosing not to and taking away that opportunity for those people to use your children in that way. This is kind of the most, on steroid version of holding your child's hand in a crowd, in a shopping mall, in the grocery store. You know, you shouldn't have to hold your child's hand. You shouldn't have to keep a constant eye on them, even if they're most well-behaved kid. The reality is that there are bad people out there that could take your child. And it's only been accelerated by the internet. Now they can do it hiding behind a screen. And so while I understand that it might be unfair and you might think that I'm being extreme and saying, take all the photos down, I think that that's actually the best thing. And I don't think that parents, again, I don't think that parents are malicious, uh, maliciously, you know, putting their children on the internet. Of course, I don't think that. I think that there's a lack of not being informed and having such a desire to share with everyone. And to a certain extent, I do think not just with parenting, but we all have a desire to share the good things in our lives. One, it's nice to share good things, but secondly, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. Um, and I get it, but I think it's something that definitely needs to be decreased um, over time. Um, so I'm trying to find um, an article that actually helps is talking about um, different sites that you can use. Um, yeah, okay, so there's a New York Times article that talks about a search engine. Here we go. Great. 
So we have we have an article that talks about a search engine called Pim Eyes, and according to this New York Times article, um, it says that Pim Eyes is a startling search engine that finds photos of persons on the internet within seconds using facial recognition technology. Um, when she uploaded a photo of her seven-year-old son, and by the way, uh, the person they're referring to is kind of a mom influencer who had her children online. She had millions of followers um, and became very frightened and then took her children off the internet. Um, okay, so yeah. So when she uploaded photos of her seven-year-old son, the results include an image of him she had never seen before. She needed a uh, 29 yeah, she needed a $29.99 subscription to see where the image had come from. Her ex-husband had taken their son to a soccer game, and they were in the background of a photograph on a sports news site. Sitting in the front row behind the goal, she realized she wouldn't be able to get the news organization to take the photo, but she submitted a removal request via an online form to Pim Eyes to that her son's image would not show up if other people searched for his face. So, and you kind of keep reading the article and she just talks about um, some other stuff that she did. Basically, uh, I would look into Pim Eyes. I cannot personally recommend it, but taking time to protect your child's identity is important, um, especially important. And one thing I will also say to end off this subject is that when it comes, so we have like young children. We have, you know, your two-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. I would also consider being very careful with your teenagers. And when I say teenagers, I'm talking like 13 to 16 years old. I'd even go higher to 18. Um, but if you're not going to let your kid roam around the universe all by themselves, why would you let them roam the internet by themselves where there are predators that are out to get them? You need to be educating your children. You need to be protecting your children. Um, they're not adults yet. and They can't make all the formally, the fully formed decisions that they should that we hope that they'd be able to. They can't, though. Um, and that's why I put I put protecting your children online under the same, uh, in the same basket as protecting your child from, you know, g- gender confusion, um, protecting your children in the womb. They're the most innocent among us. They're not able to make these fully informed decisions. Some can't even speak for themselves, especially if they're unborn. And even when they're like two years old, they're still not great at speaking for themselves. So we have to take the initiative to protect them. Even if we want to share the cute photo of our child, we need to be careful. Um, Okay, so I think I'm done with this topic. Um, I will look for the hate mail in the Resident Skeptics email. And by me, I mean our manager. So uh, real quick, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I just feel like everyone else has already talked about it. Um, So I'm going to spend like two minutes maybe talking about this. But the biggest news that happened over the weekend was DeSantis dropped out of the race um, and endorsed Trump, which... No surprise there that he endorsed Trump. I am kind of surprised that it was this soon. Um, I kind of thought he would hold out a little bit longer, but maybe he's making a play for the VP. I don't know. Um, But I think here's a couple things that we can take from this. I think one of the first things we can take is that charisma and star power matters in politics more than policy sometimes. 
Um, and while I think DeSantis has great policies, as his campaign kept going on, I realized that he lacked the star power. He lacked the charisma. Um, you can kind of see this too with Barack Obama, where he might have had really bad policies. He might have done a really bad job, but the man did know how to speak. The man did a fantastic job knowing how to speak. And I think that's why you also see approval ratings dropping for people like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Like speaking is really important and having that charisma, neither of them have that charisma. And while I think that Ron DeSantis is leaps and bounds ahead of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden in regards to speech, he still just lacks that punch. And it's hard to punch up to somebody like Donald Trump, who has a lot of that star power, who's known for his star power. Um, it's a really, it's a tough competitor to work with. Do I think that Ron DeSantis is going to run again for president? I think it's possible. One of the things that I'm concerned about, though, is that everyone, by the time 2028 rolls around, um, everyone's going to have forgotten about covid um, they're going to have forgotten about a lot of the work that DeSantis has done. And for people in politics, like we have a very short memory. So I think DeSantis has a lot of work ahead of him to prove that he not only did a great job with COVID, um, but that throughout Biden's presidency and potentially another round of his presidency or Trump's presidency, that he has what it takes to keep up, that he can do more than just COVID policy. Um, I think he's doing a lot of that with, you know, uh, the school system that's going on with a lot of the uh, quote unquote book banning, uh, protecting kids in schools. I think he's doing great with that. Um, but I really would, I really would say that DeSantis has some work to do in regards to punching back a little bit better. I think he made a big mistake in the beginning of his campaign by not, um, by not taking on the media head on the way he should have. Because um, those were a lot of the clips that went viral of him in the first place before he started running was like him taking on the media. Like those are the clips that got people excited and he simply didn't do that in the beginning. And by the time he realized he needed to do it, it was unfortunately, it was unfortunately too late. Um, so I don't think by the time this episode comes out, I don't think Haley's dropped out yet. Um, she should, but you know, she's, She's not going to, um, so that's unfortunate because I don't think, I don't think she has a shot, and I don't think she'll end up being Trump's VP. Um, I think I'm trying to think of who would be his VP. I think Vivek could potentially be persuaded to be his VP or be in his cabinet somehow uh, for Trump. DeSantis, I don't know. I mean, I think DeSantis could be the VP. Um, I think he's got a, I think he's got a good, get a good shot at that. He might not want to, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a full-on political expert. Okay, let's get into this next story. Um, and I misspoke in the beginning. It's two Navy SEALs um, that were killed. Um, yeah, I want to want to talk about this and just kind of, again, very quickly, but just kind of recognize them. This is NBC News that the Navy identifies two SEALs lost at sea during raid and later um, declared dead. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and just take a look at this. Okay, so the Navy on Monday identified two SEALs who were declared dead after they were lost at sea during a nighttime raid near Somalia. Um, so 
the two individuals we have here, according to this article, is Special Warfare Operator First Class Christopher J. Chambers, 37, and uh, Special Warfare Operator Second Class Nathan Gage Ingram, 27 years old. Um, they were on, they're on the waters on the night of January 11th, seizing a vessel illegally transporting advanced lethal aid from Iran to supply uh, Houthi forces in Yemen, the Navy said in a statement. And then um, we do have a statement from Joe Biden who says, Jill and I are mourning the tragic deaths of two of America's finest Navy SEALs who were lost at sea while executing a mission off of the coast of East Africa last week. Over 10 days, the United States military conducted an extensive search and rescue missions. Mission discovery efforts are still continuing as we grieve this profound loss for our country, he said. Um, Biden continued, these SEALs represent the very best of our country, pledging their lives to protect their fellow Americans. Our hearts go out to the family members, loved ones, friends, and shipmates who are grieving for these two brave Americans. Our entire country stands with you. We will never fail to honor their service, their legacy, and their sacrifice. Um, The search and rescue effort were formally declared a recovery mission Sunday as Chambers and Ingram were declared dead, officials say. We extend our condolences to Chris, engages families, friends, and teammates during this incredibly challenging time. Um, Captain Blake L. Cheney, the commander of the Naval Special Warfare Group 1, said in a statement, they were exceptional warriors, cherished teammates, and dear friends to many within the Naval Special Warfare community. Uh, the mission that cost Chamber and Ingram their lives netted further proof of Iran's support for Houthi militants who had been stepping up regional attacks since the outbreak of the war between Israel and Hamas, U.S. officials have said. Items seized allegedly included Iranian-made ballistic missiles and cruise missile components. The weapons and part of some of the, the same the Houthis used to threaten and attack merchant ships in the Red Sea, U.S. officials have said. Both men competed boot camp at Recruit Training Command, Great Lakes, just outside Chicago, before they graduated from SEAL qualification training in uh, Coronado, California. They were assigned to Naval Special Warfare, NSW unit on the West Coast. Um, So what they're saying here is one of the SEALs had tried to board the vessel in rough seas and fell into the water, officials have said. And the second one dived in after the first, before they disappeared into... The darkness, officials said. Yeah, so just wanted to bring up that story. Um, I guess sometimes it's easy just to report on, you know, the the bad things that happen in the sense of this bad politician is doing this. This is what shouldn't happen. This is what shouldn't happen. Um, but when you see, you know, two seals, you know, having each other's back, fighting, fighting for us to protect us. Um, they did something truly selfless, not just in that moment, um, but all the moments leading up to that. So prayers for their families um, as we're as they're going through that. All right, I want to talk about one last thing. We are at our last topic. The topic is is DEI finally dying? Um, I don't know. I'm excited to talk about this very quickly, very briefly. Um, talking about is there death to it? I know. Ben Shapiro and Elon Musk talked about it recently. I think it was in Auschwitz. Um, but yeah, they talked about it. But there has been a story that has made it around thanks to libs of TikTok. All right, let me see here. Hello, libs. There we go. All right. So 
Cigna, a very big health insurance company, says race is a social construct invented to marginalize black people and perpetuate racism in America. They also teach that there are many genders. So um, they've definitely fallen into some hot water. This is over some of the training that they had. Um, and But most of what you can see here is, is pretty standard, you know, equi- diversity, equity, inclusion stuff. Um uh, one thing I thought was interesting, though, about this when I was reading it was this last paragraph here that says, however, be mindful that we should not use the term referred pronouns because this implies that there is a preference that they may have a choice when it comes to gender identity. When it's not a choice at all, it's who we are. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's really funny. I just It's so weird that a health insurance company would say this because when you deal with people's health, like, their gender and their sex matters because that changes how you treat them because men and women are, you know, made differently. And no, you don't get a choice uh, about it. So uh, they're in some pretty hot water for that. Uh, and then some some other good news, though. Here, and the reason why I say that Cigna getting exposed is good news, again, I think it gives people the courage to speak out, um, especially with a big company like that. Um, kind of getting burned in the public eye. So that's fun. I enjoy that. All right, next. On the diversity train, PWC dropped some U.S. diversity goals to meet changed legal landscape. Ooh, that's fun. Let's look at this. PWC has dropped some of its diversity targets in the U.S. and opened up previously off-limit scholarships to white students after pressure from right-wing activists and a Supreme Court ruling against affirmative action. Um, The Big Four accounting firm, which employs 46,000 people in the U.S., said it was applying a rigor to its diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts to reflect new legal backdrop. That's kind of fun. That's exciting to see. So it's exciting... It's exciting to see that the D the DEI um, what's the, the DEI mask is able to come off because I think there's actually a lot of people that don't agree with this stuff like you shouldn't discriminate against white people just because they're white like that's not that's not um, what's the word I'm looking for it's not reverse racism that's it it is racism. So very happy to see that. Happy to see Cigna in some hot water because that means that hopefully other companies will reconsider what's in their training. Um, And then it might even give people the opportunity to speak out, even if it is anonymously, because you have to remember with situations like this, there might be policies against leaking this kind of information, but you're also dealing with public relations, which means while they might have the right to fire somebody, um, it would look really dang bad if they did. So I think that the political landscape is changing. I like the way this is going. I'm excited. Go away, diversity, happy times. And I think that's all I have to say in that regard. Um, And I think that this is going to conclude our episode for today. I hope that you enjoyed it. Hope you found it entertaining, helpful, and useful. 
if you like Resident Skeptics and you haven't liked us and subscribed to us on YouTube, what are you doing? Make sure that you subscribe for more content. We have some of our contributors coming back with us. Um, so we're very excited about that. Make sure that you follow us on Instagram and Facebook and make sure you also follow us on Spotify as well so you don't miss any of our episodes with all of our other hosts, which include Connor, Isaiah, and Steven, plus special guests. <laughs>